been a real blessing to hear from a whole lot of different people on this theme about moving forward in our life with God, trusting Him, growing in our faith. And we're going we're gonna to pick up with that theme. We've already sort of set it in place a little bit in terms of the music that we've been doing and just kind of the direction that we're heading. Some of you already probably saw in the handout, but there's a pretty extensive uh, bio on our speaker um, this morning, Rusty Roof. Rusty is not a stranger. He's actually part of our community. He uh, is someone who's been here for actually over a decade, he and his wife, Patty. Rusty has a number of things that he's been involved with over the years. He, he has uh, a number of areas relating to technology, just the marketplace, the arts. He has a, a vast amount of experience. He's someone who, if you notice at the very bottom though of that bio, there's a little note, notation there. It says that he serves in the children's ministry. One of the things I admire most about him is that he and his wife, Patty, have served for a number of years. Almost the entire time they've been here, they've been serving in children's ministry. Pretty impressive. He lives out what he, what he believes, and he serves. And it's, beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to see that in people. He's one of the most disciplined people I've ever met. We're actually in a small group together. We've been in that for a few years now. And he's part of our advisory committee here at the church. He's a really good man. And uh, I think what he's going to share with you is going to bless us all and hope us, hopefully get us thinking also about some key points in our lives and what God might be wanting to teach us um, to learn from the turning points. All right, let's give Rusty a warm welcome. Can we do that? Come on, Rusty. Come on. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning. Usually about this time, I'm upstairs with the six-year-olds to sixth graders. So forgive me if I ask you to sit up in your seat a couple of times. I just can't help myself, and uh, if you raise your hand, it doesn't always mean I'm going to call on you. We have, you know, some of the kids just love to raise their hands, no matter what. They, actually, they teach us, right? So it's a beautiful thing. Um, so, summertime, lots of exciting things happening in the city. I'm a guy who's, I'm influenced by the time we, it goes to daylight savings time. It's my favorite time of the year. And this year in San Francisco, we get something really cool that's going to happen that I don't think has ever happened before. And it's called the America's Cup. And I have been just fascinated with all the things that's happening with the America's Cup. Um, these are very, very technical boats that um, hundreds of millions of dollars get put into them. And there's a lot of competition, and it's dangerous, and it's risky. Unfortunately, there was a fatality. I mean, it's, it's a pretty complicated thing. But it's just beautiful when you see those boats out on the water doing their thing. And so I'm kind of into it now. I mean, and I'm kind of looking at other sailboats and go, well, I'll never get a chance to actually be out on a sailboat like that. But, you know, I was kind of surfing around. I was going, wow, look at that boat. That's beautiful, huh? Can you imagine just being out there sailing along on the calm waters? Chances are I'm probably never going to get much of a chance to do that either. I just, just don't know enough. It takes skill. You have to have some technical expertise. So this is sort of my speed right here. Right there, that's me, you know? <laughs> and even that's hard. Even that's hard. But what I thought was interesting is I was preparing for this weekend, and you can see the message title, Tacking Forward, is that all of these different boats, regardless if they're the high-tech, really expensive, or the low-tech, maybe less expensive, they all have one thing in common. They're all powered by the wind. They all are dependent upon something that's out of their control. And the wind is a very interesting thing. 
When we define the wind, we say, you know, the wind swirls, the wind comes and goes. Sometimes the wind's at our back, sometimes the wind's in our face. Sailboats have to be able to deal with all of that. And in fact, they can actually move forward into the wind. What a great metaphor for life. What a great metaphor for moving forward and thinking about that in a different way. So I'm not going to try to explain to you all the physics and the technicalities of being able to move forward, but I put in your handout this idea of how you tack. Now, the problem with me even talking about this is there's someone here, multiple people who know a lot more than me about this. So I have to be kind of careful because last night I got like a three-page email from someone who said, well, there's also this, and then you get that, and you get that, and then, which are all great points. I'm going to try to make it simple, all right? So a sailboat, if it's going into the wind, if it goes directly into the wind, the wind will go around the sail and it won't move. So what a sailboat has to do, it has to lean itself, if you will, at about a 45 degree angle into the wind so the wind catches the sail and actually moves the ship forward, but also kind of moves the ship sideways at the same time. But yet you can go forward. The problem with that is that if you just keep going in one direction, or one way, one tack, you never get to where you want to go to be. So what you have to do is you have to come about. You're, you're, the sail comes around and then you turn around and you go this way for a while. And then you go that way for a while. Ultimately, you get to your destination, if you have a destination, which is a very important part of sailing. What you have to do is you have to pick a point on the horizon, a landmark, a lighthouse. If you're in the bay, maybe look at the Coit Tower, even Alcatraz. You're going to have to have a point in the, on the horizon that you are tacking towards. Without that point, you don't know where you're going to get in, end up. Which brings me back to the metaphor of life. And we're going to talk about that direction point that could be good for all of us. So if you will indulge me, I am going to zoom out, if you will, maybe use like a GPS and look down at my life and the coming about or the turning points in my life, share those with you, and then see if we can bring some learning out of the turning points, converting turning points into learning points. So my first tack, born in Kentucky, grew up in southern Indiana, two working parents, um, high demands, lots of talk in my family about success and achievement, high expectations. Both of my parents, fortunately for me, uh, belonged to a church that they took me to. And at eight years old, I accepted Jesus. And I knew at eight years old what I was doing. I was making a commitment. It was clear to me. And I got to tell you, one of the reasons why I teach in the children's ministry is because those kids know. At eight years old, the words that they hear the things that go into their mind, they can be life-changing. And I get emotional. I apologize. I, I mean, I cried in McDonald's commercials. So <laughs> it's... But at eight years old, maybe I didn't know everything, but what I knew was a destination point had been created for me. That Christ was the ultimate destination. The kingdom of God was the, where I really wanted to go and needed to go. Now, I'd be disingenuous if I said that, was all, that always stayed clear, that always stayed in focus. 
you're going to see some examples where you're going to say, dude, you, you weren't thinking about that at all. It's true. Because that's what happens in life. It's kind of like, anybody ever looked up at Sutro Tower, you know, and you can see Sutro Tower? Not every day, can you? There's a lot of days in San Francisco where we, you wouldn't, if you came from out of town and you stayed for a couple days, you wouldn't even know there was Sutro Tower up there. Because the fog comes. You know, life gets in the way. We let other things get in the way of our destination point, of being able to see it clearly. And I've had so many times of that in my life. But yet, it's always there. And God never changes. So this first tack of my life, um, you know, school years. Like I said, high expectations. You know, good grades, played sports, was in theater. Um, I was popular, class president. All that's good. Until something happened. And boy, does it happen so much to, to kids. I started running in the wrong crowd. Now, I didn't know I was running in the wrong, well, I, I, yeah, I knew I was running in the wrong crowd. But the wrong crowd felt like the right crowd at that point. And so I started doing things that uh, I'm, not, I'm not proud of today. And um, last night I was sharing, and there were some kids who'd grown up out of my Sunday school class. And I was like, oh, gosh, because this is the first time publicly I've ever shared this story is this weekend. So it was my senior year, 18 years old, and um, I'd been out on a Friday night, and that, was, that night was more than a hangover. And then the next morning on Saturday, my dad came in and woke me up and said, uh, come with me. So I walked out, and he had opened up the trunk of my car, and he looked in the trunk of my car, and he said, what's that? And it was more than alcohol. And uh, then he asked me, he said, uh, is there any more? And I said, yep, there's more in the house. And after um, he took all of that and confiscated it, which I'm glad he did, um, he was mad. But, you know, I saw something in his face that wasn't just mad. He was disappointed because it was the first time I'd ever disappointed him. Um, so I got grounded. But I have to tell you, grounding was not like I didn't play video games for three days. It was basically a year of solitary confinement. And anything that I did outside the house, outside of school, my parents were going to take me. They took away my car. They were going to take me. They were going to be there. They were going to show up. And I basically lost all freedoms in my senior year. Now, you can imagine when you're 18 years old, we've all been there at that time. You get angry. You say things to your parents like, you've ruined my life. I can't believe you. This isn't fair. And at the time, it felt like that. But it didn't ruin my life. You know, it might have saved my life. It might have changed my life. Because had my father not caught me, what if someone with a badge would have caught me? What if they would have opened up the trunk of my car? There's a pretty good chance I wouldn't be standing here right now because I would carry a record with me that wouldn't allow that to happen. Or even worse, what if I never got caught at all? And I just ended up on a, that trajectory, that tack, continuing on. For sure I wouldn't be here today, I don't think. So you ha I have to look back now and say, what was that time about? What was that moment? What was God saying to me? And it can be found in Psalms 94.12, which is in your handout. Joyful are those who you discipline, Lord, those who you teach 
with your instructions. I want you to circle that word for me, if you will, if you've got a pen. Circle discipline. And then I want you to do me a favor. I want you to say that out loud. Discipline. discipline. That's not an easy word to say, is it? It doesn't just roll off our tongues. It's not a word that we actually want to hear or want to walk around being disciplined. I did not want to be disciplined. But actually, out of that time, there's a learning for me. Because what I didn't like about that discipline was I didn't like losing control, so now my parents were in control. I didn't like being embarrassed. I mean, how, do you, how, how are you cool when your parents are sitting in the car or sitting in the next room while you're over here? You can't be. But if you take those discipline points that I had then and turn them into a learning, which is what I want to do today, some things came out of it. Because being disciplined in that point was maybe not my father's, my earthly father's discipline, but the heavenly father's discipline. Maybe what God was telling me that I've learned now is if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you can't be in control, Rusty. I have to be in control. And oh, by the way, you can't be embarrassed with me as your heavenly father. you got to be proudful, pride, and have pride that Jesus is with you. you got to be comfortable and courageous to be able to say that to others. It was an amazing learning point for me because discipline and correction aren't always what they seem. At the time, it's awful. In the future, when you look back, it's something that we can learn from. If we're willing to accept discipline, we can learn. Okay, so back to the boat. So I'm out of high school. I've cleaned up my act, sort of, for about four years. Um, it's my last year of college. I kind of fall back into the same partying kind of thing. Um, that lighthouse kind of has come and gone. I can see it every now and then. I graduate. I get my dream job. I'm working on, in the radio industry as an air personality in Indianapolis. And it doesn't quite turn out to be what I thought it was going to be. In fact, it turns out to be a lot like what was four years ago looked like. A lot of partying. A lot of people that I didn't really respect. Getting pulled into things that were going to really um, turn my life in a bad direction. So I kind of come to this point where I'm partied out and I'm like crashing, and I don't know where to turn. And there was one person in my life that I knew I could call on, and that was the dean of students back at Purdue where I graduated, who I'd gotten to know. She just died two months ago. She'd been, it makes me sad to think that she's not still in this world because she meant, she meant so much to me. But I picked up the phone, and I called her back then, and I said, I just need to talk to you. And she didn't have to take the call. She got tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. She didn't take the call. And she said, sure, come meet with me. That's okay. So I drove from Indianapolis to back to Lafayette, 52 miles, and I sat in her office, and all I did was cry. That's all I could do, just cry. And as I broke down, she had two choices as I see it now. She could have judged me. Instead, she hugged me. And I'll never forget, she, I got up out of the chair, she put her hands on my shoulder, on my shoulder. She's looking at me. She turned me around. She, now she's standing behind me. She puts her hands on her shoulder. And she walks me out of her office, and she says, we're going to give you a new direction. And she got me back into graduate school, 
And um, that began, began an attack that lasted for a long, long time. And I wonder what would have happened had she not taken that phone call. Because see, my learning from there was that was God's grace. God's grace showing up in a way that I didn't expect it to show up. I don't know that Barbara Cook was a believer or not a believer. We never talked about that. But I know that God worked with her and worked her through her that day for me. You know, a couple things I could have done at that point. I could have gotten mad. I could have not accepted her grace, but I did. And I could have not learned from it, but I have. So the learning for me from that moment, that turning point, is in Ephesians 2.7. So God can point us to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible, incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for those of us who are united with Christ Jesus. I want you to circle grace. Because grace is an amazing thing. God's grace is provided to us in many, many unexpected ways. We can choose to accept it as God's grace, or we can ignore it. But if we accept it, he can do amazing things. And secondly, he wants and needs us to be examples of God's grace. You know, when the phone call comes to one of us, what do we do? Do we take it, or are we just too busy in our lives? Do we respond to that email, or do we just blow it off? You know, no matter where you are in life, it's an amazing thing. There's always somebody in front of you, and there's always somebody behind you. Somebody above you, and somebody below you. No matter where we are in our lives, we can think we're at the bottom of the rung. There's somebody else below us who needs us, who needs us to be an example of God's grace. My wife Patty says, why do you do all those meetings at Starbucks? Seems like all day long, all you do is sit around and have coffee with people at Starbucks. It's true, I do. Um, partially because I don't know what that meeting is going to be about when somebody says, hey, I just need to talk to you because of what Barbara Cook did for me, I'm trying to do for others. So the next tack, as I said, that began a long thing. Graduate from um, graduate school, um, I start into work. I go to work for Pratt & Whitney um, in Connecticut. Then I go to work for the PepsiCo companies where I worked for 10 years. I moved seven times physically during that time. I found a profession. I found a wonderful, glorious wife who was an answer to, my, answer to prayer. There I go, getting emotional again. The fog is clearing. You know, Christ is becoming more and more in sight, but still in and out. I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to church. Um, prayer becomes something that's more important. And I, I kind of reached the top of what I was doing in my profession. And I reached the top by actually playing by the rules. Because I'm kind of a playing by the rules guy. You tell me what to do, I will go do it. And what happened was, in the tenure of my time at PepsiCo, I went to one of these high potential seminars, you know, whatever that means. You know, so I get to go to it. And they basically say, here's how you get to the next level. For, so first thing you have to do is you have to work in separate divisions of the company. There was Frito-Lay, PepsiCo, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, KFC, all these different things. You have to work in a separate division. And, and the other thing is you've got you to have international experience. So I took notes. I thought, well, that's what i got to do. So I took a transfer over to Pizza Hut from Frito-Lay. Basically, it put me on the road um, all week long, every week. It caused Patty and I to have to commute live in separate cities for a year after only being married for two years? What was I thinking? I mean, that's just not a smart move. 
You know, but the career thing was so important to me. In fact, if I was counseling somebody today, I'd say, don't do that. I mean, you got a chance of ruining your marriage. By God's grace there, our marriage stayed together. And then I was traveling all around internationally after that because I had went to Pepsi International. I had to have that international check the box. Russia, China, and India for two years, contracting just about every kind of food illness you can get. <laughs> you know, it was, it was not a pretty two years. And then I came back, and it was time for that promotion. And I was ready. And they gave it to somebody else who didn't do any of the stuff that I had to do. Didn't change divisions, didn't do international. And I said, but wait, 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 wait. You gave me the rules. I was just playing by the rules. And they said, yeah, well, the rules changed. And boy, was I not happy. Because I don't like losing. I'm a competitive guy kind of downside. I don't like losing. This is like the first time I had lost something. And then I became what I would say the unbearable likeness of being. Um, I was not happy, and I, poor Patty, I took it out on her. For the first time, I needed to go, felt like I needed to run from something, not run to something. I had to get away because, you know, I was angry and I was upset, and I needed to go find another job. For nothing, for no other reason, prove it to them that I could do more. So I put my head up, a couple offers came, and I'm sitting in my office in Connecticut, and I can remember my home office, and I can remember praying to God, saying, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Um, give me wisdom. Just give me wisdom. Now, when a th somebody in their early 30s prays for wisdom, that's kind of like praying for a miracle. <laughs> because wisdom just doesn't come to us that way. But I was praying for wisdom. And so I got this interview with this guy who was the CEO and chairman of Electronic Arts, EA, the video game company. And we were going to do it by video conference. I was in Stanford, Connecticut. He's out here. Now, this was way back before the time of Skype and, you know, FaceTime and all that good stuff. This was like you actually went to a video conferencing center. You sat in a room, and you saw somebody on the other end, and he didn't know how to do everything he needed. Oh, he was a pixel. He was about that big. I couldn't see him. I couldn't see him. But I heard words that came out of his mouth that I thought were just amazing. I went home and Patty goes, well, how was he like? What was he like? I said, I don't know. But let me tell you what he said. He talked about things like values and principles. And he kept using this word integrity. And he kept talking about how you treated people right and how you know, we were going to grow a company that was going to be a fantastic place to work. And it was funny because I didn't hear any of the other stuff. I didn't hear how much money I was going to make or what my career path would be. I just heard those words. And I wonder if that wasn't God answering the prayer. If that wasn't God giving me wisdom to hear the things that I was supposed to hear. Because remember, back during those times, 1998, I could have gone to work for IGotABigIdea.com. I didn't. I got to go to work for a place that believed and, and in something that was really important. So in the handout here, James 1.5, you can see what happens when you call upon Christ for wisdom. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. You can circle wisdom. That is a promise. God has given us that as a promise to us. That if we ask for wisdom first, then the decisions we make, when we look back upon them, if we've listened, if we've heard, 
if we've taken the input from others, if we spent time in God's word, if we've prayed about it, but if we have asked for wisdom first, you know what? That decision's going to work out because God's will is going to be in it. Wisdom is an amazing thing. So the lesson for me is, you know, if we call upon him for wisdom, he's going to provide. Okay, so I'm going to come back to the journey. Sort of the three-hour tour is starting to feel like here. Um, so slide the, the next tech. Um, 1998 to 2005, electronic arts, fantastic years. 2005 to 2008, got to run a company called Snowcap. All's great. The wind's at my back. The rail's sort of in the water. We're going so fast. It's not about the wind now. It's about the destination. I don't really think it was even about the, 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 the knowing where I was supposed to go because I was going so fast that it felt like at any moment the ship could capsize. Like any wave I was going to hit, this might be the end of it. And I am on attack and I, every now and then I would look over here and go, well, I'm supposed to be going over there, but this tack is so good, and it's going so fast, and I'm holding on for dear life that if metaphorically you would have looked at my hands, they were bloody, clearly bloody, from just holding on and not wanting to let loose because when you get going, the sailors tell you, when you get going that fast, if you try to turn into it, you're really going to have a problem. The only thing you can do is let loose. And I wasn't willing to let loose. This was my wind. This was my time. And then on April 4th, 2008, the wind went still. The wind stopped. My company was sold. I was the CEO of my company. The company that bought us already had a CEO. They didn't need to. April 4th, 2008, I went into a drift, to a standstill. I'd lost my wind. Again, my wind. But a verse showed up to me, and it's one of my favorite verses, which is in Psalm 46.10. It said, Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. Be still and know that I am God. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody when you're downwind from them? They're up there, you know, and you try to talk to them. Or, or think about this, maybe even better. You ever been in the back seat of a car with the windows rolled down and you're on the highway and you want to talk to somebody in the front of the car? What do you have to do? You have to yell, right? You have to yell. Okay, so I'm in the wind and God's given me this verse. You know, I'd always heard this verse kind of like this. Be still. Know that I am God. Until then. He kind of delivered it this way. Be still, dude. Know that I'm God, not you. You've had enough of your thing. Now it's time for you to put me in the right place. Um, that was tough. I'd done enough of my own thing. You know, maybe God had to come all the way back around and show me discipline again. See who's really in control. It was a turning point for me, that stillness. Time to reorient myself, if you will. No title, no company. No affiliation. I'm a guy. No identity, right? Because I don't, what, what's my company? I don't, you know, no identity. I went from 500 emails a day to actually paying attention to those emails from Nigeria. <laughs> it was a strange time. But I will tell you this. In the stillness, the fog goes away. 
and I could see clearly where I was supposed to be. I didn't know how I was supposed to get there, but I clearly knew that God was talking to me. You know, stillness is an interesting thing. You know, you have to get quiet to hear God. You know, sometimes we've got to take our hands off the wheel. Or maybe we have to take our hands off the keyboard. Because in this crazy time that we live in of everybody's got to be on, always, everybody's got to have an opinion, everybody's got to, we've got to lift our key, hands off the keyboard and get quiet. Now, I'm going to tell you that, you know, being still doesn't mean you have to go into the cave and be a hermit. For me, I'm still very busy. But, there, but I have a stillness in my heart that God is continuing to remind me that if you want me to hear you, you got to stay in that place. So what's next? I don't know. I really don't know. All I can do is trust of where God wants me to take me next. What I do know that is if I listen and I learn and I continue to look back, but I continue to look forward, if I keep Christ as my destination point, that if we were standing here five years from now, I'll have a word up there. I don't know what that word's going to be, but he's going to give me another coming about point. What I also know is that I still won't be as close to God as I want to be or as close to God as he wants me to be. That's the voyage of life. The voyage of life is I'm going to take you in lots of different directions. Keep me out there as the direction point. Keep me in focus, and I will take you to the right place. But you always got to be striving to become closer and closer. So I'm trying to learn from the past lessons and try to move forward as best I can. Now, there's another example of attacking that we're gonna, I'll go through very quickly. Um, this is somebody who started from the beginning with that cr uh, cross as his destination point. He came to the earth. He had tax that he went through for 30 years. He got ready, and then he started his ministry. And then for three years, he actually ministered to those around him and taught. And at the end of three years, he went to the cross. And then for three days, he, he was separated from God. He was, then he went, he, he went through the resurrection. And then for 40 days, he walked the earth until he ascended back to heaven. And here's the promise we all have. He's got one more move. And he told us what that move is. He's coming back for us. We got to fix our minds and our eyes to the cross so that we're ready when he comes back and finishes what he started. All right, I'm going to give you one more. I'm going to change the metaphor, give you one more story. So Pastor Terry said uh, to us that, you know, we're in a small group together. One of the things Pastor Terry likes to do is he likes to go backpacking. That's, he loves the wilderness. He gets out. That's his quietness. And he likes to take other people with him. I mean, he likes to share the joy of that. So he invites me along on this backpacking trip. Now, I like the outdoors, but I'm not an outdoors man. You know, you got to have some, you got to kind of be rugged to be an outdoorsman. I've been described lots of things in life, but no one's ever said he's rugged. <laughs> so here's the way backpacking works. You put 45 pounds on your back. That's about a third of my body weight. <laughs> I was telling the kids this story a couple weeks ago, and they were like, oh, that's about how much I weigh. Yeah, I'm going to put you on my back, and we're going to go. We're going to go north of Hetch Hetchy about 8, 9, 10, maybe 11 miles. So we're on the second day of this trip. And we get up in the morning, we strap everything on, and Pastor Terry says, okay, so we're going to go about seven miles. You can't really get off the path. The path is there. Um, I'm, 
I'll be there when it becomes obvious that there is no more path, and we'll all just sort of do our own thing. So that's, that's great. A couple of other guys go, yeah, there's a couple little hills, but don't worry about the couple hills. This is going to be good. So I'm like, okay, good. I feel confident. Now, I have a tendency because I have my center of gravity when there's 45 pounds on my back, I fall over. I tip. I tip over. So I'm praying for sure-footedness. Lord, just give me sure-footedness. Don't let me fall over. You know? So I've got my head down, and I'm watching, and I'm going, and I'm going, and I'm going, and I just keep going. I have no sense of time. i got no sense of distance. I just keep going. Now, there was a point where I saw in the back of my eye, like this, a sign. And I looked over in the back, and it said, Hetch Hetchy, that way. Well, that's where we come from, so I know I must be going in the right direction. So I just keep going. And I go, and I go, now these little hills that the other guys had talked about, this is all uphill. I'm like, okay, you know, they're hazing me, you know, because I'm just going up and up and up the hill. In fact, going so far up the hill, it starts to get cold. It's really windy. There's snow on the ground, and there's snow starting to come down. And I just keep going. I'm like the ever-ready bunny. I'm just, you know, just keep going. And all of a sudden, I hear, Rusty, Rusty. Well, you know, when you're in the wilderness, you really can't tell kind of who's saying what. And uh, so I'm thinking he's in front of me. And I'm thinking, well, I, I, maybe I better speed up. Right before I start speeding, I'm here, Rusty, you're on the wrong trail. What do you mean I'm on the wrong trail? You said it was only one trail. I'm on the right trail. I look back down the hill about a half a mile. And there's Pastor Terry doing this. <gasps> you're on the wrong trail. Now, he had gone like another couple miles with his pack, then he dropped his pack, and he came back, and he came up the hill to get me. I mean, how could I be on the wrong trail? It's right, it's right here in front of me. When we came back down the trail, it was pretty obvious why I was on the wrong trail, because I'd missed the sign. Now, he didn't tell me there was a sign, but I had missed the sign. It was obvious. I saw that one going in the background, but I didn't see this one, because what the trail did is this one went this way, and this one went that way, and I stayed on this one. Wow. I was in the wrong trail. Why was I in the wrong trail? Because I had my head down. I had my head down. Go back to my other metaphor. If I'd had my head up, if I'd been fixed on where I was supposed to go, I wouldn't have got lost. But once again, God delivers. And in this, in this lesson, God delivers something extraordinary because he won't let you get lost. He won't let any of us get lost if we're focused on him. We just got to keep our heads up. Just find that destination point. Put Christ as the center. Stay focused on it. We will tack left. We will tack right. We will come about many, many times, more times than we'll ever imagine. But we will get up and we will end in the right destination. That's his promise. That's his gift. That's his blessing to us. You know, we could be in many different places in our lives. Some of us, it may be the first time we've ever thought about this. Wow, I got to find that destination point. Others of us, we know what the destination point is. The, Christ, the cross is there, Christ is there, but it, I mean, it's in the fog most of the time. You've got to clear it out. You've got to find that stillness. And there, there are others of us that, you know, it's pretty clear. But maybe it's time to think about coming about. Maybe it's time to think about what the next tax is going to be. In a moment, we're going to have the, uh, the ushers come and we'll receive our offering. And then we're going to hear a song. We're going to hear a song that uh, actually I think has a lot to do with, what we're, what, with this message. Some of you who are old as I am will remember it. It used to be on the radio back in the 70s. Others of you probably have no idea who the guy is that even wrote it. But that's okay. We all come from different places. And so um, I hope it's a blessing to you. Think about it when you hear it. Think about your turning points.
Think about what God is trying to say to, to you in this time. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come to your house to worship. Lord, we just uh, thank you for the lessons that you give us in our lives. Thank you for coming and giving the ultimate sacrifice so that you could be our destination point, that you could give us the opportunity to live with you eternally. Lord, however you're speaking to us today, however you carry this message forward this week in our lives, let us find a way to hear your word, to hear where we're supposed to come about, to see you more clearly. And Lord, let us also be ones who are grace and give grace to others. So many people need to hear your word, Lord. Maybe through our lives and through our examples, through our words, we can bring somebody along with us. In your name we pray, the precious name of Jesus. Amen.